Hello, listeners of Retro Fanfic Retrospective. It is I, Tori, co-host of Retro Fanfic Retrospective. Today, we have an unexpected break in our podcasting schedule, which has given Dom an opportunity to make me watch something that I did not want to watch, but ended up liking anyway. So instead of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, we will have an episode of Animation Breakdown in which we talk about Centaur Worlds. Hey, hi, hello, welcome. This is Animation Breakdown, the uh, podcast where I trick a friend into watching a show with me, and then we talk about uh, how he made us feel and our reaction as fans and as uh, people that are somewhat <laughs> somewhat informed about the animation world. And I'm actually excited to talk about what we about the show we're talking about today because I watched it and it made a hole in my brain and i didn't know what to do with it <laughs> so i'm i'm dom she her and the person i tricked into watching the show today is it's tori they them and <laughs> yeah no I, i'm actually glad dom that you made me watch this because i did watch the first one and a half episodes and i absolutely abhorred it however right. making it towards the end of this show i was Impressed? Intrigued? I I honestly don't know. It's it's a strange feeling. Um. The show we're talking about today is Netflix's Centaur World, which was released July 30th, 2021, which is, to peek behind the curtain a bit, about 10 days earlier than we're recording. And I originally was not going to watch this show. Like, I had... I follow some Instagram people that talk about animation news and the show, show previews of different things. And I'd saw like a picture of the, some of the key art, I think a bunch of fluffy creatures in front of a rainbow. And I was like, Oh, I'm not a fan of this animation style, mm-hmm. but bef- in the run up to the release on Netflix, they released a music video of the song. Welcome to Centaur world that plays in episode one. And I didn't, realize how hard the songs went (laughs) (laughs) i didn't i didn't know anything about the cast or anything but like the core cast are broadway performers and listening to the song you could really hear it in the instrumentation and as a musical theater nerd myself it's like oh okay i guess i have to see this now that plus some of the amazing animation that happened in that sequence really drew me in yeah, the animation throughout the whole show, I think, is is really on point. And I agree. I, when I first saw the character designs, I was just like, uh, this is probably going to be one of those kids shows that just is a little bit too silly for me to really mm-hmm. get, you know, something I might have laughed at when I was eight, but probably couldn't now. And, and to be <laughs> yeah. honest, that's sort of how it starts out. But speaking of the Broadway aspect, apparently the, the show creator, Megan Nicole Dong, uh, in an interview that you sent me, Dom, mentioned that <laughs> it was part of uh, their, um, I, I don't know their pronouns. Do you know their pronouns? I haven't watched any live interviews with them, but I assume she, her, but assumptions can be wrong, so I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the, the creator mentioned that they were like, um, kind of had a lot of academic pressure in high school, but it was getting into musical, like, getting into theater. That really like was their release, and I feel like that's the whole premise of this show 
is that we have someone who comes from a very stressful world and enters into a world that is bright and colorful and musical. She mentioned specifically joining a show choir in high school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what it was, yeah. Yes. Not just choir, which is the technical singing, but show choir, which is technical singing with uh, vests and hats with sequins on them. <laughs> so this first season of Centaur World, because, I mean, spoiler alert, there's going to be a season two. And also, if you haven't seen the show, we're going to talk freely about it because it's weird to talk about stuff and that would be an extra <laughs> layer of difficult. That's what we do. That- we, there's That's like a, we an overarching spoiler warning on every episode here. Exactly. Every project I'm part of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this first season had a run of 10 episodes, all released July 30th, et cetera, et cetera. The, I did want to like w- record an episode relatively soon after I watched it so I can get some more impressions. But the bad side about that is, is that it's hard to see what the critical review is mm. like i don't think there's been enough time for that there's been a couple yeah. things but everything i've seen so far has been positive but it's been like three different things yeah yeah that's true and i wonder if i mean what i'm curious about is if a lot of people had the same reaction i did which is starting to watch it and going oh no thanks and then yeah. uh you know i will say you know just off the bat i think it is a worthwhile watch Towards the end, I think the show is actually stellar. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just a little hard to get into because I guess we should start talking about the premise unless there's something else you want to add there, Dom. No, um, let's talk about the premise. I just want to say about reviews. um, Anecdotally, I've seen a lot of positive stuff on my Twitter feed, but my Twitter feed is mainly consistent of animation professionals <laughs> that <laughs> couldn't wait to draw their own centaur persona <laughs> after watching. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the first episode starts us off in a... Well, I'm sorry, I had th- five different thoughts at once. <laughs> <laughs> the first episode starts us off in a grim, war-torn world with a horse and a rider singing a um, sad lullaby to the horse riding through a war-destroyed land in dark, like, blacks and browns and gray-colored stuff. Yeah. Carrying an artifact away. And eventually, the after being ambushed, the artifact activates and the horse gets transported to another dimension. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you want to say about this opening sequence? There's a lot. I mean, it's... it's well, okay. I'll just say a couple of things. It's a mm-hmm. very short sequence you know um it's very clear off the bat and i do really like this song and i really like the style of animation it's much more like angular sort of like avatar-esque animation style in the beginning um where horse and basically horse is a horse it is so-called horse and Mm -hmm. horse has a rider who is horse's only companion and is therefore, in Horse's mind, called Rider. And I think we get pretty quickly that Horse, you know, in the, in the world that she's from, does not speak, really, does not understand language. However, when right. she enters Centaur world, that changes, and that's why we have these, this nomenclature. But I thought this scene was really well animated, and I thought the song was very pretty, and it's something that keeps coming back. It's how, in this war-torn world where... Basically, everyone is a warrior. Horse and rider are each other's only stable companions. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, seeing this in this intro, it was like I really wanted. I kind of wanted this show, <laughs> this this war torn thing, and like the the girl character was super cool. She has cool hair. <laughs> yeah, writer is yeah. Yeah, it seems like a young girl, uh, like you know maybe a teenager. Yeah, and like right off the bat with the writer's lullaby, it's called the first song that comes out is you can kind of notice that they've had the songs recorded and they storyboarded the action afterwards. Like a, a couple parts where like there's a musical phrase where writer goes like side like they animate the two different mouth positions, which is not something that I'd normally done if it was the other way around, where it was animated and then sung over, which right drew me in. They actually mentioned they worked with two different studios in order to get the two different looks of the show. Mm-hmm. And I'm taking a pause to look up exactly what it was. I think. We've mentioned this before, maybe not on Animation Breakdown, but on Retro Fanfic, that I don't remember which, but it's more the case in, well, at least in Japanese animation, that animation is done before voiceover, but Mm -hmm. less the case in Western animation. Like, fairly frequently, we have voiceover and then animation, which I do think is really interesting, and I think has served this scene very well. Yeah, the first animation house they worked with was Korean-based Red Dog Culture House, which is the uh, who they were responsible for the dark and gritty um, human world, I guess we'll call it. And the light and fluffy one is done by Mercury Filmworks, which is oh. a Canadian independent animation studio who has done such work works recently as um, done some Mickey Mouse, Lion Guard, Kick Batowski, Mickey um, Mouse a Cookie. Uh, Rapunzel, Tangled Adventure, uh, Kid Cosmic, and Hilda. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, I didn't realize there were two different animation studios. That's actually really interesting, because something that is really important in this show uh, we'll get to is the change in animation style. Yeah. So after that intro, we get the change in animation, animation style, which is bright and cotton candy and colorful, and we get introduced to everybody in a big musical number. We have Horace who starts talking, and Horace is a fish out of water. The, the creator describes the, the concept as Brienne of Tarth being dropped into Muppets world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's basically what it is. Like You have this mm-hmm. lifelong warrior, enters a portal, and ends up in Rainbow Fluffland, mm-hmm. and is instantly greeted by singing, you know? Like, and not the sad, mournful like lullaby that of, I'll always be there for you, but like, Welcome to Centaur World. Everything's yeah. great here. We poop rainbows, <laughs> basically. <laughs> we shoot tiny versions of ourselves out of our hooves. <laughs> and they do that. So all the centaurs have magic. Mm-hmm. And their introductory song lays it right off the bat. They have... This is what... I wasn't a big fan of this song. Like, I get where the humor is coming from. It's absurdist. Their yeah. magic is shooting tiny versions of themselves out of their hooves. Having a handsome face, I, I don't even for remember. It, it's all really weird. Uh, having a handsome face for eight seconds, shapely mane, sparkle blink, uh, portal in your tummy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it, it goes on ad nauseum, ad, ad, ad ri- ridiculous. <laughs> right. And it's a very frenetic sort of 
Yeah. You know, a Muppets show is a good way to describe it. And knowing that the creator was inspired by the Muppets is it is actually makes me understand this world a little bit more. So when I was mm-hmm. first introduced to it, I was just sort of like, this is bizarre without a purpose. Right. But I understand that there is a purpose. The purpose is to juxtapose horse, horse's mentality, horse's world with this crazy, random, nonsense, happy world. So Honestly, that's the only way I could really, not parse, but, under, but uh, stand it, was all this rid- ridiculous was in response to the serious and that they play off each other. And so they're both supposed to be the extreme. Mm-hmm. No, it does make sense, but I still am not sure if I appreciate it as much, you know? I definitely had moments early on where I, I did not enjoy it. <laughs> it was so lol, so random, and that's not exactly what I want all the time. <laughs> right. And I don't want to be that person because I don't want to judge something just based on a a personal preference. But it's hard to mm-hmm. describe exactly why this... I guess annoyed me so much in the beginning. Um, right. I don't know if you have any insight into that, Dom, because I've been trying to work through what my annoyance was. It's just, I understand the point. I understood it from the jump. I just right. still found it annoying. You you mentioned it took you a while to warm up to it. Like, sort of. For me, a Broadway, a regular promise of Broadway-esque songs is enough to for me to buy into most things <laughs> and like with the, the interesting thing about combining it with like the broadway sensibility is that musicals are ridiculous there's nothing that makes right. sense about them people shouldn't be bursting out into songs and a lot of the modern things cartoons shows stage shows even that use songs try to like downplay it or smooth it over or make it seem mm-hmm. more natural but this thing does something which uh, is not as common as it was like back in some of the older stuff, like where it just goes, this is crazy, and here's a Broadway song out of nowhere. Enjoy it. <laughs> actually, I think that does help me pinpoint what I found annoying is because I actually really love musicals, you know, especially mm-hmm. older musicals. I love that people burst into song for no reason. Yeah. But this felt <laughs> a little bit forced. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, it felt like, and here is musical world where people will do this. And it's not for any reason, but it's that doesn't mean that it has a purpose. Like, songs and musicals generally, they vary. They have, you know, emotional impact. Sometimes they're hyperactive, you know. This initial mm-hmm. song is very much just like, I'm in your face for no reason. It's like that person who won't, <laughs> like that kid in high school who won't stop poking you, you know. Like, hey, what's yes. up? Hey, what's up? Um, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be too harsh. I just, I don't no. know why it annoyed me. And it just did. And not a lot of things annoy me, you know? <laughs> and it seems weird. I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess. Like, if you see it as a cartoon show that's interrupted by music, then it, that, that could be a bit off-putting. But from reading some uh, interviews with the creator, it seems like that they started wanting to make a Broadway thing and then worked mm-hmm. backwards from a cartoon. So that makes it bit, make a bit more sense to me. And I think that that's how I took it going, going into it. That's fair. Yeah, I yeah. think I just didn't really like um, the first few songs quite as much. I actually thought the... I thought everything in the show... I don't want to say got better, but really, like, mm-hmm. to me, 
because I don't want to be that value statement, but <laughs> got more to my liking as the show progressed. Yeah. It just was kind of a harsh opening. That's all I'll say. Yeah. I think it was supposed to, it's supposed to be a juxtaposition. And, and if it's not that, if that's not your thing, it's not going to stick. Mm-hmm. But like, there's a general overreaching plot this first season. Um, Horace meets up with his hordes of uh, Tor creatures. Centaur. What's what's the plural of the basic denizens of Centaur world? <laughs> they're they're all called centaurs, but I don't think we specified. They're all different types of centaurs. Like yeah, and, and they play fast and loose with the term too. It's like right. colors and stuff, and yeah. There's grass towers. Literally, like the blades of grass are their own like living beings it's yeah it's hard to describe <laughs> but that so, element of the world i did like the creativity of having everything be alive and yeah. having all of these animal-based things um but yeah you're introduced to our main cast and i i will first mention the weirdness of the jarring animation is that they don't really have human faces they have like you know human circle they have circles on their faces and they have giant <laughs> eyes, but they don't have noses. I mean, they have mouths. Yeah. They just, they don't look anything like a human face from Horses' original world. I'm looking at, at the picture on the uh, Wikipedia of the promotional poster, and if you took out most of their eyes and replaced them with uh, googly eyes, it'd look exactly the same, except then they'd also shake when you move the poster. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And Horse meets up and becomes a herd with these different tours, centaurs. Linguistically, I'm going to have a problem with this episode. <laughs> because yeah. a herd of these centaurs, and the over, the, a brief description of the plot is they're going to need to find these different shamans following the Rainbow Road in order to get different parts of the artifact, which turn out to be key in order to open the portal to go back to Horace's original world. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and the premise is basically like horse drops in here, is super freaked out, gets introduced mm-hmm. to this herd, but they've never left. They're called a herd, but it's Wamawink, who is a llama centaur who is pink, who is kind of the mother figure of the herd, and mm-hmm. um, I'm gonna forget Zulius, who is like a zebra centaur mm-hmm. who is kind of obsessed with his appearance and seems like he wants to be an Instagram model. Um, right. Basically. Ch- or is. Yeah. I, I'm going to cheat and go off the, the list here. Uh, yeah, go Ched, for it. Ched is a Finch-like centaur. I guess the best way to describe it. Uh, is Ched actually like, like a centaur? They only have two legs, right? Anyways. Well, they're all technically centaurs. <laughs> like we mentioned, they can be whatever. Ched is like basically like a bird with a buff upper body a small bird with a buff upper body and a man face who uses his arms to flap maybe their arms maybe they're i don't know flippers i can't tell uh we have glendale who's actually voiced by the series creator megan nicole dong who is a long-necked gazelle centaur there's a word for the species a garanic yeah. Found in the Horn in Africa. And there's... Was the character's name Durpleton? Is that right? Yep. <laughs> Did I just not there process that? There is the giraffe centaur whose name is Durpleton. 
and I, to the giraffe centaur. To be honest, I think that's the character that bothered me the most because he's supposed to be stereotypically just like silly, I guess, like just not very aware of the world. And I mean, look, if there's something that frustrated me a bit the most was how often Durpleton just says something random and then like farts, you know, it's just like random fart, you know, I'm like, yeah. I get why kids would think that was funny. But as a grown up, I'm sort of like, I'm not really a grown up. I shouldn't say that. Well, like, keeping in mind but, that eh. Tori's being uh, literal here, not, not hyperbolic. <laughs> nope. Yeah. It's a random fart. That is what Darpleton's character is. Not that as the show progresses, I think all these characters go on to have endearing qualities. But as you're introduced to them, they, well, first of all, um, you have Durpleton who says something dumb and then farts. And then you have, um, oh, what's the gazelle one's name? I forgot. Glendale. Glendale, who has a Muppet voice and randomly steals things. Like, literal, like, her voice is, like, I don't even know. It's, like, Cookie Monster, maybe? I did read some interviews where C- Cookie Monster was mentioned. <laughs> it's a little what? over the top. Yeah, it's a bit uh, like Cookie Monster meets Fozzie the Bear meets mm-hmm. crazy high-pitched. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I'm sorry I'm harping on this so much. It's just I wanted to pinpoint, I guess, what annoyed me so much when I started watching it. Like, why I didn't think I would be interested. I actually think the show goes on to be great. So, like, maybe we should just go and do that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just restate here in no uncertain terms that we liked the show. We did like the show. <laughs> We're just trying to parse our initial... Uh, reactions yeah i i think the opening could have been done better um but essentially like this uh this herd swamawink's herd mm-hmm. they've never left the valley before and wamawink is you know the protective llama has been very sheltering them you know for their whole lives but when horse comes into their life they want to initiate her into the herd however when horse says no dudes i need to leave they're like, no, you can't do that. It's too dangerous. We can never leave our valley. We can never yeah. cross into another valley along the Rainbow Road. And eventually they're persuaded because they really want to help her, which is the first endearing moment you get from these characters who are essentially very kind. They're also persuaded because, yes, they're safe, but also they're bored out of their gourds. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's another... Like, kind of the theme of the show, where it's, like, safety versus adventure. Where there's sort of a push and pull a, a lot of the mm-hmm. time. Or, like, uh, feelings versus keeping... Th- like, especially with the uh, key part at the end. It's like, yeah, the safe thing to do would be, be just close everything off, but that's not the emotional thing to do. And mm-hmm. they make obvious choices. Um, later on, they find out that there's a, another human in the centaur world who is credited as woman <laughs> as, a, as apparently the character's like official name. You have horse rider and woman <laughs> who has some sort of designs on the artifact. And with all these happy, bright exterior, there's a hint at a darker past that that's been in centaur world. Mm-hmm. Like even in that first episode, they mentioned like they're in a protective bubble in order to escape the results of the war don't talk about the war here's more song <laughs> right yeah. yeah and there's like a little bit more leaning on you know wama wink's character who 
seems to have much more experience outside the valley. Like, it's sort of, I feel like her, the rest of her herd just doesn't. That's why she's trying to protect them. And she's, right. you know, being the leader here. But it's clear that she has some sort of connection to something that's happened in the world. So, yeah. So we did a brief overview of the plot. And it's a um, Wizard of Oz, follow the yellow brick road. Follow the rainbow road. Follow the rainbow road. Yeah. Uh, going to these different shamans and getting the key pieces. And that's pretty much um, episodes one through eight. That's the, the feeling of it. There's, they, have the, mm-hmm. they have the simple motivation to move on. Uh, they have a clear destination. And they're finding out more and more about the world. Like, uh, like they hinted in the first episode that there was a war. At one point, we go back into Wama Wink's memory, the uh, uh, purple alpaca llama uh, m- mom of the herd uh-huh. and find out that she was from a city or a town a village of other you know purple llamas that got destroyed during a war and there's like a little bits of um like scars and carnage uh, hints of uh, throughout centaur right. world and every so often they'll try to not try to they will throw some different uh change in element like they have in episode four they have the first little reference to the nowhere king which you find out through a creepy little melody yes oh my god i thought that was so effective the nowhere king song is just yeah oh it's it's really good i wish i could remember it but it's like sort of sung by little kids (laughs) yeah it's little kids and the lyrics are, hush now, hide all you little ones, rush now, into the middle of nowhere, singing in laughter will die. Dreamless sleep follows the nowhere king, when his kingdom comes, darkness is nigh. Quiet, crawl to the in-between, silent, secretive feeling, of fearsome hatred that reaches the skies. You will bring joy to the nowhere king, when he sees the light leaping your eyes. <laughs> Yeah. Sung in a very light, with like a, with like a children's choir. <laughs> and there's like a xylophone backtrack that's just like yeah. kind of coming along. Yeah, it's it's very much like a an antiquated lullaby, but in a very creepy sense. And yeah, that was yeah. one of the most effective songs, I think, in this show. Yeah, and because it's kind of based off of like a Broadway show, there's like uh, melodies and leitmotifs and stuff that re- uh, appear at certain times to evoke certain feelings and this is a melody that appears when things are getting creepy and the song yeah. itself even comes back up in episode seven it does very effectively mm-hmm. it's like you will bring joy to the nowhere king that's very good it's got those minor notes <laughs> you know sees the lights leaving your eyes love it <laughs> yeah this brings me to another point I had, like I was watching this show and then like the, the nibblings came over and I, I had, like rushed to turn the TV off. Cause like, Oh, th- this can't be a kid's show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it but turns it out that, that this is rated um, Y seven mm. for kids seven and up. What's your thoughts about this being a kid's show? <laughs> I think this is okay. Look, I think we kind of have to get to the end. This is absolutely a kid's mm-hmm. show. Like, a but, lot of the yeah. humor is for kids and everything. 
However, there is a really creepy ending scene. And that was the point where I went like, yeah, I probably wouldn't show this to young children because there is a very terrifying thing that happens towards the end that I was like, no, that would kind of scar me if I was a kid, if I was a young kid. So let's talk about the end part. Like we have all these adventures and we can Mm -hmm. go back and talk about those as they come. But episodes nine and 10 are called The Rift, where they wrap up a lot of the minor character things and then they open the portal with the key. Mm-hmm. And I've said and, before, the show didn't mm-hmm. really enchant me toward until towards the end. And then, mm-hmm. yes, they open the portal and um Horace has to go through. She wants to get back to Ryder, right? There's been mm-hmm. a, a few warnings of danger. They have all the pieces to the key. Horace gets through the portal and she's been warned. They've all been warned that there's a great evil trapped in there, right? By woman. <laughs> the mm-hmm. character's only named woman. That's right. Um and before they open the portal, she's like, you can't, I don't remember if it's before, but she's like, you can't open this. It's not good. Don't do it. And mm-hmm. they do. And when Horace gets into the portal, that's when the Nowhere King appears. Right. And the, there's a space between the portals, between the two worlds, a giant white void, which is the animation signifier of nothing happening, which is a blank page, mm-hmm. <laughs> where uh, Horace and Ryder meet back up. Because Ryder happened to be on the other side, and that's a little bit rushed explanation, but that's fine. That's not part of the, mm-hmm. doesn't need to be part of the story. They at least explain it. You know, they just say, like, Ryder's like, I went out to this place, and it just, you know, I defeated all these enemies, yeah. and the portal was here, and so I went through it. Which, yeah, I get a rushed explanation, but at least it's yeah. something. <laughs> they said it, and that's, and it's fine. I would have, if I had my wishes, I would see it. That sounds like a fun sequence, but... Mm-hmm. That is not the point. The point is they reconnecting and everything happens from that. And there's a reprise of the uh, lullaby that happens in episode one. And I love that song. It's a great song. <laughs> mm-hmm. And while that's going on, the portal closes and horse and rider are trapped in between in the space in between the, the two portals. Mm-hmm. And then we finally get introduced to the Nowhere King. Which is like, I don't know how to describe it. It's the beast from over the garden wall (laughs) it's actually i would say it reminds me a lot of in um oh my gosh why am i forgetting the name of this film spirited away um when the frog gets possessed by the dark force in the bath right the, um, the river spirit yeah yeah and has all of those legs and is dripping in black goo. That's yeah. part of it. But it also has like a, a bull's skull with horns that is its face. Maybe it's a horse skull, is it? I thought it was a, it was vaguely horse. It's that, that animal family. It's a horse or a deer or something like that. I thought it'd be horse because in the theme of centaurs and horses. I think there's a reason you can assume it's a horse. Um, but actually, for some reason, I thought it was horns, but maybe it doesn't it does have horns doesn't it i can't remember but anyway it is a really well animated the face is the skull the body is bloated it is insect like it balloons out and tapers in the back and it drips in black goo and it has multiple long spindly legs that it crawls on really to horrific effect and this is the only part of the show where i was like don't let kids watch this. Like the rest of it, I was like, this is, 
this is some kid, like, this is just silly kid stuff, you know? This part, I was like, ah! You know? Yeah. It had some horrifying, not horrifying, some very scary sequences in that part. No, it definitely employed elements of body horror and also, like, you know, people's general phobia of bugs and Mm -hmm. ichor, you know, ichor, however you pronounce it, and skeletons, of course. Um, And, yeah. It's just, I can't describe how well animated the No More King is. I I just think it's incredible. Yeah, it's it's a great sequence, though. And in the middle of this climax, like, uh, the herd on the centaur world side wants to open up the portal to make sure a horse is okay, and they, uh, there's a, not a fight exactly. Is there a fight with woman over the key? There's definitely a song. <laughs> there is a song. There's a lot of songs in this, and like a lot of the mm-hmm. action happens in between songs. But yeah, there's not really a fight so much because she instantly traps them in like a bubble. Mm-hmm. But eventually they get the key back, they open it, and, like, the Nowhere King starts leaking into both sides, and then they, then they move into the center, and they have, like, a conflict with the Nowhere King, where eventually Woman and the Nowhere King come directly head-to-head. You find out there's some sort of personal history there, which was... Right. And, like, it was weird to be seeing this creepy creature... That was like completely just evil, and like they they had the song about light leaving your eyes, and the nowhere king sees a woman, and he's like, "Oh, it's you! Hi! Oh, you want to kill me? Yeah, go ahead. I'll just be here, and it's your choice. Go for it." <laughs> yeah, there's been a strong build up to that point of the nowhere king like trapping everyone mm-hmm. in the darkness and trying to escape. You know, that was what was supposed to be prevented. That's what woman character. <laughs> wanted to prevent with him escaping. You know, he's perceived to be this giant evil threat and he slowly overtakes, you know, the white space in between portals and traps everyone in his black goo. But there's a point where, yeah, they know each other. The the human woman, the only, actually, we didn't mention this, the only human we've seen in Centaur World is the one, this woman, the character we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And she... You know, they meet, and he instantly kind of retracts his goo and, like, bows before her. And this is why I think it's a horse skull, because I think it's a parallel. I think that my hypothesis is that he was her horse at one point, and she was his rider. But we don't know that at the end. Um, And he says, just do it. Just stab me. And I guess some of the things we missed leading up to this is she said, like, you know, they had a relationship and that he didn't used to be this dark and I don't know, basically that. But I think there's a lot of implication that she, she says, I think she claims responsibility for turning him to this dark thing or something to that effect. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. At one point, they try to sneak out while this is going on. They're like, come on, let's go. And Julius is like, no, they have history. You have to stay and watch. I'm like, I'm. I'm with you on Zilius. <laughs> I, I would be thinking something similar in this situation. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's history. <laughs> What's the funny thing about Zulius's character? I think we can get to it a little bit more later, but he is definitely like mm-hmm. a viewer perspective a lot of the time. So. Yeah. Uh, just to wrap up the story, they, somebody else, I think writer or something, steals the artifact and stabs Norbert King in the head, and they're like, yeah, we did it. And that woman's like, you fools. <laughs> 
you can't kill it with that. What are you doing? And then yeah. we find that the Nowhere King has gone back to the writer's world, sitting upon an old throne. And then they're like, oh, shit, we got to collect an army on both sides. So rider and horse split up again. Uh, rider back to the original world, horse back to Centaur world with the goal of uh, informing people and creating an army to fight this uncommon, right. this upcoming threat. Yeah, it was actually like um, a reunion moment between horse and rider. You know, mm-hmm. they've had their reunion and it was, uh, I guess we haven't talked about this. We haven't talked. No, let's talk a little bit more yeah. about the uh, about the characters that. in depth. Horse is a regular gray war horse, voiced by Kimiko Glenn, who, looking at the filmography, is impressive. Oh, she was also um, Lena Saberwing in uh, Ducktales. Mm. Yeah, uh, lots of film credits. Going to be in the new upcoming My Little Pony movie. Television credits. Um, was Brooke Soso in Orange is the New Black, if you've seen that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it, actually. I actually but. knew that because I looked up who Lena's voice actor was when I watched DuckTales <laughs> because I liked her so much. And I was I was a little surprised. Like, she plays kind of a different character. I, 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 I am impressed by her versatility. So. Right. Because in uh, Orange is the New Black, she's kind of just like this hippie girl, basically. <laughs> I could hear that. Oh, yeah. fun thing, her and who was it? It was um the voice of writer were part of the original cast of the uh Broadway show Wait- Waitress. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she's done several things on Broadway too. And Horse starts off as a very serious character, very very well animated character, mm-hmm. by the way. Like I think one that I'm going to send you this tweet again to show you like the reference sheet they had for it. As a person who has made multiple comics about dogs and spent like several years just learning every element of their emotion. Yeah. And, you know, appreciating 101 Dalmatians for like how perfectly animated every dog and that is, I can really <laughs> respect someone who pays attention enough to get the animation for this, for a particular animal correct. Like, yeah, and they really did. They did everything. And like, even in the look of the centaur world universe, as, as opposed to like the character design of the original universe, like they kept the look, but changed the movement to fit in with the uh, w- with the uh, more crazy cartooning world. Um, emphasized by the point where they don't they show horse holding things, but they never show how it's done. And that's on purpose. <laughs> right. <laughs> And, you know, we I'm sure we're going to go through this plot point by plot point, but one thing, you know, that I think we can bring up independently is the longer Horse remains in Centaur world, mm-hmm. the more her body changes. Like, first she, like we said, she didn't speak before she entered Centaur world. As soon as she gets Centaur world, she's like, I can talk. Whoa. But over time, and they imply it's a product of her magic, she sort of gets other... Or, or like the magic of the world she gets other magical powers but also the style of her animation changes yes which i do think is really interesting because they did juxtapose the animation style of horses world the animation style of centaur world and they unified that by saying like yeah. oh yeah this is this is actually a thing like this is a component of our world it's a little like 
fourth wall breaking in a way, but it's also just like, it makes it like sort of a metaphor for the differences between the worlds. Right. It uh, culminates in episode seven when, because before there was a couple of changes, like she had a, gained a spell, her tail could talk, her hair, her mane looked weird. But at the culmination of the song in episode seven, she fully transforms into a cartoon shaped horse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not that she wasn't a cartoon shaped horse before, but. I mean, a centaur world style shaped horse. Exactly. By the way, just a special shout out to episode seven. Seven's called Johnny T Times B Best Competition, A Quest for the Sash. <laughs> There's the uh, culminating song, uh, Who Is She? Which is like wonderfully sung. And like the storyboarding on that particular scene is amazing. That was the episode where I started to really like the show. Um, they have a right. reference. They first show up in the cat world, and they have the reference to cats. I thought that was hilarious, and yeah. the characters get a lot more moments in the episode. And I was like, and "Wow, a- yeah, this is good." And I've been looking at their uh, creators, uh, Megan Nicole Dong's uh, Twitter, pulling out different tweets, and I'm looking at this one that where she just tweets the uh, original boards for that sequence. It's apparently it's done by Jeremy Pulgar. Pulgar. And I just want to say it's amazing because a lot of time boards will look kind of like loose or inspired, but he got all the best parts of the sequence down in that board. Mm. And it's amazing. It really was. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that that whole episode was, it was an interesting precursor to the darkness to come because I feel like that's when the animation started to shine, but it yeah. was in a much more like kind of fun, silly way. Yeah. Um, at the end of that episode, they have the Nowhere King reprise mm-hmm. sung by characters in a dark void. Yeah, I think like that's when it started to get started to get good. Because before that, mm-hmm. you know, the episode before that, they had these trees that they had to. I don't remember what they had to do with the trees, to be honest. The one before to... that was the uh, the Moltar one. Oh right. Yeah. Now, that one was actually pretty funny too. <laughs> they're a little episodic, yeah, but they're, I just remember that, like, shortly before the episode where I felt like things started to stand out, um, there was an episode where they, you know, they had to request a key piece from these wish-granting trees, and they granted Dropleton's wish for his farts to say nice things for him, <laughs> and that was, like, a big part of the episode. I just went, like, what? Like, there was I mean, just got... so much farting. I was, like... I, it's actually sort of funny because eventually the farts start to say things like a like a loving father to him. That's yeah. actually funny. But why was there? <laughs> they didn't need to go to the length that they did. Like, just make it one line, you know, one or two lines of a little bit of a joke, you know, instead but, of. No, they, they, they uh, had a whole song about it. <laughs> a whole song with tons of farting. I mean, maybe that's yeah. just not my thing. I don't know. <laughs> No, you're, you're right. I don't think we were the audience for that, exactly. The song's called He Never Says Anything Nice. <laughs> yeah. And it yeah. was, it, like, it was an analogy for, like, a, you know, a distant father. Um, and that... Yeah. Uh, that could have worked if it wasn't just, like, in the song, constant farting. So, whatever. Right. So, with all these cartoony changes to horse, it culminates in the uh, part before we talked, we told you about where... Th- Horse meets Ryder in the rift, and Ryder doesn't recognize Horace because it's this weird, tiny, gray blob in the shape of a horse that talks. 
and it's the uh reprise of the um uh uh lullaby that brings them back together in true broadway style yeah um actually i did really like the reprise of the lullaby and the way it came together because it was like writer coming from the war-torn world at first looks at horse and goes like what the hell are you because horse's <laughs> appearance has changed but horse starts talking which you know horse couldn't talk in the original world yeah but it eventually like very quickly culminates in a song that says like how could i not recognize you i've known you my whole life like there's no yeah, way I could, you look different. You're talking, blah blah blah. But like, how could I not know you? And yeah, it, it is. It's really sweet. And the other kind of relationship horse has, uh, besides with like all the rest of the herd, is specifically with uh, Wamawink, the uh, mm-hmm. self-described mother of the group, mm-hmm. who's played by Megan Hilty. Done a lot of good stuff. Uh, played a. Uh, Played Glenda and Wicked in uh, in 05, 06. Stage credits, Annie Your Gun, Little Shop of Horrors, more recently. Lots of credits. That's a nice thing about these sort of projects is that you get these people that are like great performers, great actors mm-hmm. that are like working people, working actors. They have lots of jobs and they're not nothing, but it's like they're not famous right like you don't know who they are unless they look them up and you just put them all together and it's just all talent working off each other and it just makes every, everything better <laughs> totally yeah and i yeah i do think the cast here was was really well done especially because as you mentioned we have a lot of musical numbers broadway inspired musical numbers and we mm-hmm. have you know cast members who have both been voice actors and performed in musicals so yeah i think it works really well and just as a something as a personal note i guess uh durpleton the giraffe centaur we're talking about who's basically a giant child right because mm-hmm. like they have things like yeah. why does my fart sound and sound like that um other songs with lyrics like i like the yum yums but how does it get, in, get into my tum tum tell me where does food come from <laughs> right right is played by um, Josh Radner, which, if you were like me and watched the entirety of How I Met Your Mother, is the main character, Ted. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I am not like you in that way, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just weird spending... Because I can't watch that show now, because it's, it's got issues, but like went from 05 to, to I know. 2014. But, Neil Patrick and, Harris is straight in that show. Sorry. Yeah, straight and a bit assaulty. And <laughs> oh, yeah. I was you know. trying to make a joke, but uh. <laughs> anyway, coming on. Yeah, that's why it's hard to watch it. But the Ted Mosby character in there is like really serious, like very sophist- self-styled, sophisticated and stuff. And to hear that, to realize that that's the same actor talking about their tum tum and <laughs> talking about their farts has been. I need to sit down after this and like. <laughs> reconcile things about the world yeah i just okay there are moments for that character mm-hmm. where like durpleton is actually a very sweet person and like you said very childlike. there are very sweet moments for that character it's just like 
I don't know why the show put so much emphasis on all of the most, like, silly things they could with it. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. what am I trying to say? I don't know. (laughs) It is weird. (laughs) Like, yeah. Any other characters we want to talk about? How about how about Zilius? So actually, yes, but I I want to say overarching. I don't think the characters hit their stride until later in the series. Like they seem a little one dimensional, and yeah. then like later on, you know, you get the attributes of Dorpleton's personality, where he's like sweet as well as being sort of weirdly obsessed with the most ridiculous like silly parts of human society we can think of like farting and eating and pooping i don't know whatever mm-hmm. um but zulius comes into his stride because in the cat episode where they have to do like the cat beauty pageant thing he's which is episode he- uh seven out of ten by the way yeah that's the uh, episode that's, uh, that like where i was finally like this is cool but he starts having a power where he can commentate on things like a news reporter, except like, no, instead. no, not, it's, it's not news reporter. It's like, uh, it's a reality show thing. Reality show. Okay. That makes sense. Yes. Yeah. It's like it's a thing, a, like his name shows up and then like a subtitle and he just like commentates mm-hmm. on whatever's happening in the most catty way possible. And yeah, it's it, actually hilarious. It's a reality show talking head segment that they splice in between shots of drama. Right, but, but they Julius has the ability ability to do it in real life. <laughs> right, it's like actually which, one of his magical powers, mm-hmm. which pauses time and sometimes causes everybody to feel like they're burning. <laughs> mm-hmm. But in general, he's just like kind of transparently superficial, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like that's his whole modus operandi. Is like, don't get my hair wet. I look too good. No one can touch mm-hmm. this. But I feel like that is kind of just the comedic effect of his character, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So interesting things about um, like writing for a children's show is that a lot of caricatures get exaggerated and blown up. And this might be me overthinking this, but is it is that harmful when it comes to the effeminate gay male stereotype? I've been thinking about that too. I mean, like, I like Zulius as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I've been debating as to whether his character is supposed to be. Now he's probably supposed to be red as gay. Um, but it's not 100% transparent, which you'd think in like modern TV it kind of would be. I think. If I had to guess, the creators were trying to do a play on superficiality without making it a woman. But I again, well, again, that, that doesn't necessarily negate some of the um, the effects that, that can have, I guess. Because mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if I'd necessarily read him as gay. I think it is entirely possible. It's just, um, it's unclear. Yeah, if you're looking at, like, cartoon caricature languages, like, he's very self-assessed with his appearance, ready to put on a fashion show at any moment, Mm -hmm. wants to make people over. 
right uh, wants to deck wants to decorate and it's like it you're right it is kind of in line with that stereotype yeah but I like the character though. <laughs> so, I know. I'm not, I'm not sure what that says. <laughs> I know that's that is a difficult one to parse. Um, and I think this is kind of the problem I've had with the show from the jump. Mm-hmm. I think, to be honest, something I noted about when the show started to take a turn for me, when I really started to enjoy it, was when I could really focus on the animation and the relationships on the main characters. However, some of the quirks of the characters just took a backseat. Like, mm-hmm. in fact, no one, Zulius, Durpleton, Ched, and um, Glendale stopped talking as much towards the end. Like, right. at least not talking about their, like, special interests, like Glendale stealing or Durpleton and his farts or whatever. They, in fact, in general, they didn't have as many lines, but they were there as a supportive cast for Horse. And that's when I started to like the story a lot more is when they were more focused on being a supportive cast for Horace and her journey and less on these weird character qualities that were somewhat one dimensional that they had. Right. It didn't really help that I like the first like four episodes or so besides like the uh, Finch centaur that always razzes on Horace. They were, they were all kind of cutting down Horace a lot of the time with, mm-hmm. because of her decisions and stuff. But it was like in episode seven, I remember like the line that made me turn on Zulius to being positive was like, and he's like, put these boots on. She's like, why am I wearing these boots? And he's, and he's like, because right. everything look, looks good on you. I hate you for that. Put them on. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's sweet. <laughs> but it was, you know, if you think yeah. about it, yeah, like that's exactly it. Like, I, I agree. Like at that yeah. moment, I was like, oh, Zulius, you actually do care. But it was like, y'all had, you had seven other, six other episodes <laughs> to prove that you cared, you know? and. Uh, I don't know. It's a lot of things. Yeah, by the way, Zilius was right. Somehow those boots did look great on the horse. <laughs> I don't know how that worked. <laughs> I don't know either. But yeah. Because those horses have log legs. I don't know. <laughs> the point is, I think the characters other than Wamawink um, from Centaur Worlds are pretty much one-dimensional. However, what is delightful about them is that towards the end, maybe they develop a few more dimensions. Their other dimension is liking and wanting to support horse. However, for most of them, it feels like that success of, you know, a character that is completely superficial and self and self-focused, finally mm. caring about someone else. That's basically what it feels like. It's like success of a child who learns to care for someone else. Um, so basically children, right? Yeah, I think it was on purpose because in that same episode, episode seven, Zilius makes a barrel down the camera comment about not being a one dimensional character. Mm. Yeah, but they all pretty much felt one dimensional up until almost the end. And maybe that's mm. the annoyance I had is I, there was a lot of focus on these characters that I just didn't have a reason to like. But towards the end, you do like them because they prove themselves to be caring people. Yeah. Um. Talking about character, we can go into we can go into things more specifically, but I think we've kind of hit the main cast. What we'd like, I'd just like mm-hmm. to mention that there's a nice selection of guest stars in every episode, every other episode, who all 
do their songs and it's pretty pretty uh interesting do you have any guest stars that stuck out with you guest roles hmm. not off the top of my head what about you well i think one that's hard to forget is comfortable doug <laughs> oh right that yeah. is the one that apparently sticks out for everyone so do, do, do you want to explain that <laughs> who is comfortable doug so I think you said it was episode six that they went to the Mole Kingdom. Yes. Um, so they go to this mole land, mole scent towers, of course, everything's scent tower. And eventually they're kind of like put on trial. I don't remember exactly why, but there is a character called Comfortable Doug, <laughs> and he is a mole scent tower, and he's the first one to kind of show up. And when he does, he kind of pierces through the ground and apparently he's slimy i don't know why the bulls set towers are slimy but every is time they sweaty? come to the ground yeah they, <laughs> they slide off comfortable doug is the hilarious part is he's the one who arrests the main cast and when he says hi i'm comfortable doug you're thinking it's constable doug right i think that's the joke but it's no it's comfortable doug mm-hmm. and he um he really doesn't show up again until there is a song later on about being comfortable in yourself. And that's when Comfortable Doug kind of takes the main stage and says, like, now I'm comfortable with myself because I'm Comfortable Doug, but also I'm comfortable, not just because it's my name. Yeah, uh, they mentioned before, like, Horse tries to call him Doug and he, uh, the horse gets corrected. It's Comfortable Doug. That's the name. Mm-hmm. I'm a dog. That's Comfortable. Comfortable Doug. Yeah, but he's not actually comfortable until later on. He's like, it's not just my name anymore. Now I'm actually comfortable. Comfortable Doug, you know. Yeah, at the end of the episode, uh, Comfortable Doug breaks out of of the Mole Society to follow them, ends up winning the beauty contest we talked Mm. about in episode seven. Forgot about that, uh, yeah. And in episode nine, they have the Comfortable Doug song where it wraps up all the side characters. (laughs) Right. But the reason it's the weirdest thing when he wins the beauty contest, Horse actually, after Zulius's, you know, uh, coaching, actually does an incredible job with her song. It is going to win. And then Comfortable mm-hmm. Dove just like shows up from under the ground <laughs> randomly. Like, I don't think even intentionally. And the, uh, the judge of the contest, who is a tiny cat in a teacup. Yeah, this show is weird. Yeah. Goes like, yeah, you win. <laughs> But apparently, I started Doug on his journey to become the best comfortable Doug. So, and of course, the fun part about it is uh, comfortable Doug is voiced by Falula Borg, which is a German um, musician, comedian, actor, uh, performer. Um, if you watch the new Suicide Squad movie that came out, he played Javelin. Um, I mainly remember him from Pitch Perfect Two, <laughs> and he does all this with his slight German accent. Because he's German, and I think plays up the accent for effect, and it works for him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, because he's also a mu- musician, he was al- also able to deliver a great performance in the song later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually, it's <laughs> it's a pretty funny number because later on the show, so like a lot of things have happened. One of the things mm-hmm. that happened is that Wama Wink. Um, was obsessed with mermaids and kept drawing like <laughs> fan art of mermen. And then finally they find mermen 
but the merman she finds is like not stereotypically attractive. He looks like a sunfish with like a human human face, maybe. I don't even know. What it looks like a sunfish and a person melted together. Yeah, it's like in, in the worst way possible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but she still falls in love with him because of his personality. And then at the very end of the episode, he's like, Oh, I'm sorry. I already have a girlfriend. Her name is what is it? Jeffica? Jeffica. Like yeah. yeah, it's Jeffica. Uh, some um, some portmanteau of two two white girls' names, yeah. Right. <laughs> and in that um in that whole comfortable Doug scene, a lot of previous characters come up. Um, a lot of ones that were just like funny side characters. And what's funny is that um I forget the merman's name, but he shows up with Jeffica, his girlfriend, to sing. And Jeffica is like an even like taller, purpler, more styled <laughs> llama centaur than Wabawink. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was really funny because it's like she just like rolls her eyes, like, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of weird side characters show up in that scene. Yeah. Just to sing, like, we're comfortable, we're comfortable. I it's it called the hero of the, the song is called The Hero of My Story, parentheses, Comfortable Doug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talking about how he's the hero of his, his own story, even though he's not on screen most of the time. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of good guest stars that come up. They're all brilliant singers and performers, and they all do a song. Like that um, Mer person we were talking about. Mm-hmm. He's apparently just called Sunfish Mer Guy. Mm. <laughs> is uh, Jamie Cohn, right. a performer. The uh, tree centaurs we talked about are uh, a Swedish folk rock band uh, with uh, two sisters called mm-hmm. First Aid Kit. And uh, oh yeah, one of the Skyler sisters is a uh, is a uh, is Water Baby, one of the shamans that keeps on right the recurring shaman that comes up. Water Baby is like the main secondary character because she's there at the end. The main the mentor character, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mentor centaur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, I want to know who was the um whale sent whale tar whale centaur. <laughs> the whale shaman was the whale tar shaman, the last shaman of centaur world. Don't know why we call her that. <laughs> was a uh, Rosalie Craig, hmm. an English actress, uh, performing musical theater. Yeah, a huge theater career spanning back to 2001 in uh, London. Uh, more awards and nomination. So yeah, a, a London stage actor. I thought that Great job. she was really good. Uh, the, like, the coolest thing about the whale shaman is like, she mistakenly has been swallowing people into her belly, you know, like Jonah and the whale, thinking that she can take on their sadness as her own. Yeah. And it's not the right decision, and she eventually realizes that. But she's also been taking on all their pain. So that was a really effective episode. But I also thought that the voice actress was incredible, and the song was really good. And the way she was yeah. animated was just, like, really bizarre. Like, imagine, like, you know, a blue whale, you know, with, like, the bailey at their mouth, like, but with lipstick and purple hair. I was just like, whoa. And arms. Yeah. The uh, the show is episodic. Um, a lot of the episodes are pretty, like, 
I don't want to say self-contained because they do have the overreaching arc, but every episode is very involved in itself mm-hmm. and goes into its own arc. And that's how they, they have like a new, interesting character every time for a guest star. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I'm going to come back to that, but first I want to say, imagine trying to put lipstick on a whale's mouth and how much work they had to do to animate that correctly. Like, they had, you know, the Cupid's bow in the center, and it kept, like, I imagine, I just keep seeing the face shifting around, like, could they keep it in the center? And they did. I thought it was so good. But yeah. I think I'm still stuck on thigh-high boots on a horse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they did so many weird things. And like so many you weird said, things. it's a bit, it's mostly episodic towards until towards the end. But I think it really builds. And I'm mm-hmm. weirdly impressed by it. Like, I don't know. I've said this before, but I just really didn't think I was going to like the show at the beginning. And at the end, I was like, whoa, there's so many great bits in this. And the ending was yeah. stellar. So thinking about what we talked about, the parts we did want to rediscuss, re-talk about over and over again are the like episodes six on. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that have apparently stuck to us. Honestly, that's how I feel about this show. Like, because I was taking notes since, you know, Dom, you told me to rewatch it. You, you forced me to rewatch it against I my will. I'm cruel and terrible like that. Yeah. I think you watch cartoons. How dare if Dom I? tied me to a chair with only a pencil and paper in my hands and all I could do was take notes. And the notes I took basically were like, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. Starting episode seven, I was like, whoa. I like this, I like this, I like this, I like this. I don't know why, but uh, anyway, it's not that <laughs> you could just watch it from episode 7 on because you'd have no context. Yeah. It has a build, and it's worthwhile to, to get through it. I just, I don't know. And before we get off the topic too far, I just want to shout out a few more uh, actors uh, before we're done, I just want to point out that the voice of horses tail that animates and comes to life and starts singing is Paul F. Tompkins, which is a favorite actor of mine. Uh, throwing, I'm a fan of Thr- Thrilling Adventure Hour and a Bojack Horseman, so it's always fun to see uh, PFT around. The uh, voice of the voice of the Nomer King is Brian Stokes Mitchell, who has a long uh, television stage career. You should check out the. Uh, 2002 to 2003, where he plays uh, Don Quixote in Man of La Mancha. Great baritone in the sky. Wonderful. <laughs> and uh, Woman is played by... Let me get this name right. Lea Selange, uh, who's a Filipina performer. Uh, originated the role of Kim in Miss Saigon. Uh, was the singing voice for uh, Jasmine and Mulan in, in, those, uh, in those movies. And played uh, Eponine and Fontaine in Les Miserables' 10th and 25th anniversary concert specials, respectively. So just a great legend of Broadway also. And uh, she was the one that played Woman. Before we close up on the topic, is there anything else uh, you wanted to mention? Well, since you brought it up, it is kind of funny that uh, Horse gets magical powers. And Mm -hmm. the main magical power that Horse gets is a talking tail... (laughs) Who only tells jokes followed by a rib shot, like a stand-up comedian. Yeah. Um, That's a child's version of, of like a 
of like a cat skills comedian sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. there's just there's a bunch of clever things in this show. There's also a bunch of things that are a bit over the top, but like I think in general the animation quality is really solid. Um even though I don't know if I necessarily enjoy the character design of a lot of the centaur world character well i do a lot of the centaur world characters the main mm-hmm. character is the googly eye thing kind of gets to me but the way they're animated is in general really strong and even some cute moments like um Durpleton, who is the giraffe centaur um being able to stretch his body quite a bit like there's a moment where he's his feet are down at the surface of the ocean and everyone's like, mm-hmm. you know, he's they're in the middle of the ocean. And all of a sudden he's off the raft and they're yeah. like, what are you standing on? And he's like, uh, I don't remember. What he says like, uh, the thing It's the bottom yeah. of the ocean. <laughs> and then there's, you know, some, uh, an enemy centaur. A centaur is very loose in this. It's basically like any sort of persona. The word element. means nothing. The word yeah. has lost all meaning. <laughs> basically, there's like a barn, a talking barnacle, a talking enemy or like. What is that? Can you describe it to me? Because like the barnacle <laughs> can can see it, but the enemy can't. Anyway, it's yeah, it's a lot of cleverness in this. Uh, and I think if you wade through the silliness at the beginning, I think you can get to a lot of good stuff. Well, like yeah, and also if you're okay with the word centaur and parts of the word being used terribly, then <laughs> okay. Because like I think it was in episode two we get a. Tornado. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Right? The, yeah. Well, it was a tornado. It was almost like, like, yeah, it was like a centaur or a tornado, but it was also like a Not bull the, tornado, the, maybe? I don't even know. Well, no, the, the name of the song is Tornado. Right. T A U R N A D O, which is a four legged wind cyclone. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So I'm. I'm gonna I'm gonna be waiting anxiously for season two. I think I I would like to see where it goes. Yeah, I would like it to keep on the same tact it's been going on. Like I I definitely think that if it keeps going in the direction it's been going, I'll be really impressed. It'll be interesting to see how the uh, critical review shakes out after a while. Right. <laughs> so. Oh, it's also hard to talk about because it's all visual, but the animation, the animated sequences of this were uh, amazing. Well done. Especially the parts that were animated to the songs. Well storyboarded, well made, just very good. Yeah. I think that there's a general buildup in this show. I think even if, like me, you find it annoying at the beginning, you're going to find that... um, the further along it goes, the more quality you're going to get and the more character as well. Mm-hmm. I I almost wonder if that was deliberate, that they kind of reserve their best for last. Um, but, you know, it was 10 episodes, so why not watch yeah. it, right? They're, what, 22-minute episodes, like the traditional. It, it's not, it's absolutely worth watching. You know, even if you only enjoyed the last three episodes, it's absolutely yeah. worth watching. It's interesting to think about because, like, there was progress with the characters, and that's definitely a sign of the format that we have nowadays, which is uh, streaming and everything available at once. Like, it kind mm-hmm. of feels like this is meant to be watched all together, or that that's 
somewhat what they intended. Mm-hmm. So I think if you have a show you want to watch with a uh, young kid that doesn't mind scary imagery, this would be a fun one to throw on for both of you to watch. Yeah, I'll definitely say that the yeah the last two episodes with the Nowhere King are, are a bit creepy, but you know I watched Princess Mononoke when I was like ten, and I survived that, so I think it's probably fine. Sure. And with that glowing recommendation, we'll have to call this one an episode. Uh, thanks for joining us. Um, this is I think we were supposed to do plugs and shit, but we don't care at the moment, so <laughs> you, you know us, follow us on stuff. And otherwise, see you later. Bye bye. <laughs>